Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Oh, great God, we come to you in awe and wonder and also in a sense of deep need. Lord, we desperately need your spirit this morning to break through our sermon-proof hearts and speak to us from your living word what your spirit would have to say. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We can tell from uh, the announcements that uh, many people's thoughts are turning towards the coming Christmas season and the coming of our Lord. But the Lord has laid on my heart about the coming of the Lord, but the second coming. Uh, To read from the book of Revelations and to um, let's read a little bit from chapter 1. Let's, uh, we'll begin uh, reading from um, verse 4. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, And washed us from our sins in his own blood. And made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds. And every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so. Amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle which is called Patmos for the word of of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and to Thyatira, unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks, In the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs 
were white like wool and as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Let's turn and read what he wrote unto the seventh church. And we can read that in chapter 3. Let's begin reading from verse 13, or from verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, right? These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. My dear brother Phil, the Spirit spoke to him of the same things he spoke to me from this word. Jesus says here that he is he that lives. 
He was dead and is alive forevermore. I want to speak to you this morning about our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want to speak to you of men's wisdom, of interesting stories. Because one day, we will also see him. Each one of us. that time there'll be no retreating to our favorite retreat from reality that'll be stripped away when he splits the skies and that sword that comes out of his mouth sharp it's going to cut right through all of the justifications and layers and sophistication that we've put up around our comfortable lives. Jesus lives. Sometimes people are comfortable with the past Jesus, the historical Jesus. There was a man who who lived the beginning of, of two centuries, two millennia ago. That's why the clock actually says 2018. And uh, as evidence that this was a turn in history. But as was said in the prayer, we, we often have this image of that helpless baby in the manger. Now, moments before, that was Almighty God in heaven above in the very throne room of God, surrounded by the glory and the seraphim saying, holy, holy, holy. That was the God who spoke this world into being, who nothing was created without him. But he chose. He chose to come and strip himself of all that power and authority and, and to make himself vulnerable to enter into this world as the most vulnerable not only a, a helpless naked baby but but as a child to refugees in without a roof with in, in a mere animal stall, in, in, in a feeding trough, he entered in. None of us have an excuse that he doesn't know. He doesn't know your sense of weakness. He took that on. And he doesn't know your sense of pain and alienation. He knows. And he invites you to come boldly into that very throne room because he understands.
And often the images, the ones that are popular and acceptable, Jesus taking those babies, those young children in his lap, of him saying to the adulterous woman, neither do I condemn thee. And then standing like a sheep before the shears is done. Taking the abuse without a word of his own defense. That same creator of the universe being mocked by the very puny creation he is dying to save. And not responding. We have to understand Jesus did that for a reason. But that's not all there is to Jesus. There's a reason why we have these words penned for us. We see Jesus himself said, write these words to the church. That we realize he's not only the Lamb of God. He is the Lion of Judah. He is not only the suffering servant. He is the returning triumphant King. That all power in heaven and earth are beneath Him. He is the beginning and the end. The Alpha and Omega, the first and last letters signifying He was before the beginning. He created and He will be in the end the uh, final judge, because he understands. And no justification will withstand that sharp two-edged sword, that goes with his word that comes out of his mouth. And so in this final book of the Bible, he writes these, he helps, wants us to know not only what was, but what will be. And we are going to read about, in this book, about what will happen and how this will all end and the final throes of, of, of a defeated Satan knowing his time is short and trying to control this world and this, this fight, this celestial cosmic fight being brought down to this earth and this wrestle between truth and lies and how Satan is given his time where he dominates and even uses uh, economic means to control the world and as he specifically focuses on the followers of God and persecutes them and has been given the power to do so, he even can have deceiving lies and wonders and the whole world will follow him. A dark time. But that's not the end. That's not the end. In that final rebellious thrust, Jesus will split the sky. The vision we see of him here with the, the eyes of flaming fire, the, <clears throat> the brilliant white hair, the, the voice is the sound of many waters, the thunderous, powerful voice and the sharp two-edged sword that proceeds. It's going to come down, and on his thigh 
Revelation 19, blazing, faithful and true. He's going to come. We're talking about Advent. And we remember the incredible God of love who sent his son into our world, Emmanuel, in order to take on our sin and the incredible redemptive plan that many of you have not yet accepted for yourselves. But we can also think of Advent. That when he says, even so, John is saying, I can't wait. Even so, come Lord Jesus is the beginning and the ending of this book. I'm ready. There's nothing here on this world I want more than to see you, Lord Jesus, come. Can I say that? Can I honestly say that? Even so, come now. My greatest desire is to know and to see you in all your glory. Revelation's going to speak at the end of the final judgment, the great white throne judgment. Everyone judged according to what they did or didn't do, according to their works and those who aren't written in the book of life, the Lamb's book of life, separated. In the final city of God, where God himself is the light, the temple, no more shadows, no more, uh, uh, no more go-betweens and types and, and symbols, we will have God himself with us, without filter, without veil, without any in-between. And, and there'll be nothing that will corrupt in that place, no lies, no fear. That's not where he begins. It's where it ends. He begins with the church's by no accident. I always wondered as a young person, this is supposed to be prophecy. This is supposed to be about the end. But he begins with the churches. The candlesticks. The candlesticks that are intended to hold the light up high so it can be seen. Jesus said, don't put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. My spirit has been stirred as I once again have, have read of what God is doing on this planet right now. It's amazing as I, as I look through history what God has done and his faithfulness, how he has, has worked in those who love him and have allowed him to work unhindered through him. It was D.L. Moody that he was inspired by someone else I just found out who said to him, the world is yet to see what God can do with someone who's fully surrendered to him. And he, he, he was so touched by that, he wanted to, to experience that potential. And, and, and so through many, but, but what I read again of the experience of the, the house churches in China, 
Those who, who made the, the very difficult decision. You see, the, the Chinese government wanted to control Christianity like they did in Russia. You'll find the, the same thing where, where, where the government had a very sly uh, strategy to say, sure, we communist governments, we, uh, we have free and open uh, worship of, of religion here. You just have to register. You just have to follow up some rules so that you can be part of the three self-patriotic church or whatever the government-controlled churches was in the communist bloc behind the Iron Curtain. In, in the case of China, and, and, and there was simple believers. And we're not talking about sophisticated people. God used fishermen and entrusted them with the gospel. And, and in China, he used poor, starving farmers that didn't have a lot of education. The man had to, to leave it because his dad was dying of cancer. He, he, they sold all their money, couldn't afford to go to school. And then when his dad, everything was gone, his mother finally remembered that before the communist um, uh, social, um, the, the communist uh, Mao, uh, uh, thank you, that was the word I was looking for. Thank you, Brother Phil. Cultural revolution that she had heard of Jesus. And they turned to Jesus, and he healed them. And, and he made a simple decision to, to want to know more about Jesus. To live his life in gratitude to Jesus. And to do whatever Jesus told him to do. Didn't every one of us who've experienced his grace make that decision too. Now that had serious consequences for him. As he freely spoke of, of the word of God, his name was plastered all over and he was hounded from place to place. On, on the day of his wedding, where they had to go in and register, you know, to get married, they walked in and uh, the official said, to the wife, can you please wait outside? And they promptly arrested him because they recognized him. And, and there was just no freedom. He spent uh, at least four times in prison, fasting for 70 days. There was, but, but there was lots of things where God showed up and did incredible things. But the point is, the fire, the power, the thing that drove not only him, but now hundreds of millions of Chinese who are willing to go even through the 1040 window where they will face the house of Muhammad and Hinduism and the greatest threats to anyone who names the name of Christ is that they love Jesus. They love Jesus and they're willing to leave all to follow him. And then God miraculously he walks out, his legs are smashed, he's escaped too many times so they don't take any chances. He can't walk. They put him in a maximum security prison and, and like Peter, he walks through four locked doors and machine gun nests and past 30 guards who don't see him and, and, and walks out of the, the, the country on a false passport through an airport with the rig with uh, you know, voice detection that will detect him and, and God brings him here into the West 
And now we have a contrast. Now we have a contrast between the pure and simple persecuted believers and the Christianity finds here. Where we have lots. But do we love Jesus? So Jesus speaks to the seven churches. There's so much to learn from each one. As we look at the seventh church, Jesus loved the Laodiceans too. And they loved him, but they thought they could handle things on their own. They had, they had wealth. They were actually a banking city. They had uh, industry of, of a very fine wool that was uniquely available there. And they, the only problem was the water that came from hot springs up in the mountains. And by the time it got there, it wasn't hot or cold. And, wasn't very tasty. But they were self-sufficient. And as a result, they weren't trusting in Jesus. They weren't trusting in their own efforts, their own resources, because they had them. And so they say, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And they didn't realize the truth. Jesus isn't trying to shame people for having stuff. He's not trying to guilt people because God's given you blessings. But he doesn't want that to blind you to the true riches. To blind you to, to what he wants to give you. He didn't come into this planet so we could have a comfortable life that is empty and doesn't satisfy. He came so that we could have life more abundant because when we have the Lord Jesus in our heart, not locked outside the door, because that's where he finds himself with the Laodiceans. This chap verse that we constantly use to try to invite those who do not know the Lord Jesus was not written to the unconverted. It's in the passage here about Laodicea where Jesus finds himself outside the door, knocking, wanting fellowship. Wanting communion. I want to come in and sup with you and you with me. I want to, you to know me. I want to break bread together and be one. I'm getting busy signals. As many as I love. I rebuke and chasten. 
Jesus loves us. He wants more. He doesn't want us to walk through our lives joyless, burdened, stressed, frazzled. He wants us to have him inside our hearts, that that joy would be filled and overflow, that that glorious Jesus, that we could fix our eyes on him, that we could be living our lives in gratitude, not only for who he was and what he's done, but who he is and what he is doing now. Because he's not the God who was, he is the God who is and will be forevermore. Your future is secure, but your present is empowered by Jesus in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, we don't have to just hang in there until we finally get to the other side. Now, we can experience his overcoming power. Now we can experience a joy that cannot be contained because when you place your trust in Jesus, not in the things that cannot be shaken, not the things that can be shaken, which is all the stuff in this world, my job, my health, my whatever I have, the stuff I have, my bank account, my reputation, all of that can be gone in an instant. It can all be shaken. But when I place my confidence in the things that are unshakable, and the one who is and was and is and will ever be, the same yesterday, today, and forever, the one who is truly in control, not just the helpless baby, but the one who's seated on the right hand of God, That one that loves me and is waiting to enter my heart and to fill me. Because the stuff I put in there doesn't fill. The accomplishments of my career do not fill me. The achievements that I have, the, the things that I eat, the places I go, the, the stuff I do that feels good for the moment, it doesn't fill me. Does it work for you? Do you feel satisfied with these things? These are gifts. God gives them to us. Thank the Lord for each one of those gifts. But they're not designed to fill us, and they don't. It's not a surprise. But Jesus, communion with him, that fills us. That overflows that makes the candlestick on fire. Am I on fire? Are you on fire? Is this church on fire? It's through Jesus. He's the fire. His spirit that he's promised to live within us, to guide us. And when I don't grieve that spirit, when I don't quench that spirit, when the spirit tells me, go and do things that I'm 
not capable of, or I don't think I'm capable of, that I don't justify and say, well, first I need to check with my wife, my minister, my mother-in-law, my uh, uh, boss. When the Spirit tells you to do things, we need to do them. Because when you love the Lord, you will obey Him. That's how you show it. You don't need a theology degree for that. You don't have to memorize the whole Bible for that. If you love him, you'll obey him. And he will come and dwell with you. And you will have a oneness and a communion that will set your world on fire. And you will be a light that people will want to know, what do you have? Because all the stuff I'm doing, the stuff that Every video blogger tells you, you got to do this and you got to have that and you got to go there and you got to know this. It's not working. But you, you have joy in the midst of trials and struggles. I see there's something different about you. You have hope in the midst of problems, you have strength in the midst of things that are overwhelming. Where does that come from? Because we're on the unshakable. We endure, as Moses said, as seeing him who is invisible. Because the things that you are counting on, the things that are empowering you, nobody can touch them. Satan can't get to your source of strength. You put it in something here, he's got you. He's got a lever over you. You put it on him who is invisible, you are untouchable. You are unshakable. And your joy cannot be quenched. But it's a simple decision. Do we fix our eyes on Jesus? Do we open the door? Do we allow him in? Do we commune with him? Do we make that the center? Jesus came as a baby. Jesus will come as a returning king. But will you let him come? Will you let that advent be about him coming into your heart today? He's knocking. Do any of you remember what the original name of this church was. Its original name was St. Timothy by the Humber. It was originally an Anglican church. We have a very interesting video we received from the caretaker of these grounds showing the building of this very building, hoisting these big bents, I think they're called, the, the beams into place by crane. A number of people standing around as they broke ground, dug out the first few shovelfuls that would eventually create the foundation for this building. We purchased this building, I think almost seven years ago now, from the Anglican Diocese because it was no longer being used. 
I don't know much about the people that built this church. I don't know what kind of a life they lived or what sort of understanding of the Spirit of God and His Word they had. But their candle, such as it was, went out. We have been given it now. We've put time, energy, effort, money into this building to make it what it is now so that we can use it. And if the Lord would tarry, I pray, I pray that when we leave this building, it will be because we have simply outgrown it and not because we too have flickered out and died. At one time, the Nazarenes in Europe numbered 80,000 people. 80,000. Some say maybe even more. We've been given light. We've been given truth. We're responsible for those things. But we can let that flame die if we're not careful. I too believe, like a dying fire, we need a fresh breath blown upon the coals, fresh fuel for the fire. We need the breath of God to blow on us and warm hearts that were dead and cold, like the hymn of the Zion's Harp says. Read our hymnal. Read it. There are songs in there that speak powerfully of revival. But a revival first needs to begin within each one of us. Ask God to blow on your heart if it's become cold. There's a book that I haven't read yet, but I mean to. It's called simply Why Revival Tarries. It's written by Leonard Ravenhill. Some of you may recognize his name. And the one line from it that struck a chord with me was, the reason revival tarries is because we are content to live without it. May the Lord add whatever was lacking to what was said, and may he grant us fresh fire, fresh wind, that people would witness of us that the Spirit is in us of a truth, as it says in Scripture. This concludes our service. Amen.